Hello and welcome to Happy Place. I'm Fern Cotton and this is the place where we can realise we're all human. We're all flawed and none of us really know what we're doing. We're doing our best and that's okay. Today I'm meeting James Arthur. Interestingly, my anxiety and my panic attacks had never occurred whilst performing, being on stage. I guess when I perform and when I'm singing, there's no time to think, to, to catastrophize or think irrationally about things. I mean, I'm present in those moments. So for it to happen to me when I was on stage was just absolutely wild. James has sold over 30 million records worldwide. Absolutely astounding numbers. He spends his days writing and performing number one songs, but he also spends his day actively navigating anxiety and the fear of impending panic attacks. It was really useful to hear what coping mechanisms he's developed and share a few of mine too. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Right, here it is then. This is the show. James Arthur. Hello, Fern Cotton. How are you doing? Yeah, yeah, I'm really good. I'm really good. Very, very well. I was just saying to my husband a few minutes ago that I was doing this. He went, "Oh, I used to play football with with James. See if he remembers." I was like, "Oh, was that down at Chiswick?" Yeah, yeah. He said you're a very nifty football player. I was. Yeah, I got injured down there, and that's uh, yeah. It's, I've had an injury from those games for a couple of years now, but um, yeah. So is he? Do you know why? Because all of you lot were taking it so seriously like you were playing in the World Cup exactly. so he would come back with a sprained ankle every week I was like you can't keep doing this this is insane yeah exactly I think that was the problem and we were playing in like a school assembly hall so we needed proper footwear for that I think but uh, yeah yeah, we did take it a little bit seriously you most definitely did um, so look I in preparation um, to talk to you today I read your book which I absolutely loved oh you did wow Back to the Boy I thought it was so well, obviously, it's deeply personal, and you've you've not shied away from talking about anything, which I massively admire. It's a really beautiful book, and it, and it's a really helpful book as well. And I guess it was key for you to, you know, obviously with the title, back to the boy, like looking at your childhood, seemed to be from reading it. I'm, I'm sure painful at times, but deeply therapeutic too, connecting all the dots. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you say that. I do wince a little bit at that book now whenever I read anything from it. Um, Why is that? I, I think, I don't know. I think it was, um, like you said, it is deeply personal and I do touch on a lot of stuff from my childhood. It it, it kind of uh, tainted a couple of family relationships and things like that. I think at the time uh, it was a bit of a whirlwind for me because I'd, I'd made a sort of unlikely comeback from being dropped from a record label and having a couple of years where I'd sort of was felt a bit out of favour with the music industry and stuff. And then um, 
had this massive song and I don't know, I just felt like there's loads going on and I'd agreed to do this book and I said I didn't want it to be too too autobiographical. I didn't want it to be too much about me, too self-indulgent. I wanted to make sure that it almost acted as a bit of a self-help book, if possible. I hope it has done that, but yeah, in hindsight, it is very personal. Like, and um, I did kind of put a lot of myself in there. And uh, yeah, I think it's, it's, you know, it's always uncomfortable doing that, making yourself vulnerable. But I suppose if it helps one or two, you know, even one person, then it's it's definitely worth doing. Well, it will have, because, you know, you go into extreme detail talking about depression, anxiety, panic attacks, and everything that you've experienced since you were a kid. And I think being that prolific and talking about subject matter like that makes people feel less alone. And I've certainly experienced that myself when talking about things and perhaps have got more comfortable doing so. Are you at a place where you feel at ease talking about this stuff now? Yeah, I think I think I'm I think I'm comforted by the fact that like I said, it's gonna help people. You know, anyone with a platform, you know, I think it's amazing what you do. I love this podcast, by the way, and I think that... Oh, thanks, James. Um, I also feel like people with, with any kind of a voice in society should have a bit of a duty to um, to talk about their struggles. Um, I certainly do. I feel like, for me, you know, you, you touched on, like, anxiety and things like that, and I suffered really badly with that, and still do, to be fair. I, I battle with it every day. But I, I, I used to internalise it a lot more than I do now. It would just eat me up and... I couldn't make sense of what was going on in my head, what was going on in my body. And um, it wasn't until I, I kind of made that step to just start talking about it, to start saying, look, I, don't, I keep having these panic attacks. I keep feeling like I'm going to die. And, you know, stuff that felt really irrational to think about. Um, once I started verbalising those things, I did start to feel better. And, and I found that a lot of people could relate and also would, you know, experience these things. And it was just, it was mind-blowing to me that so many people understood anxiety. Yeah, I just think that taking that first step is, is huge. And, uh, yeah, in answer to your question, I just think that's just that's just the best way to tackle it is to, is to speak about it. And um, even though it does still make me uncomfortable because it triggers sort of childhood traumas and things like that to, to speak about it. And I think yeah, it will always it will always do that. Not as not as much as maybe it used to. I, th- I think it's necessary. I think it's really necessary to to be honest, and uh, hopefully it will help people to do that. Well, anxiety is on the rise, as we all know. You know, every year new stats come out showing that teenagers are feeling more anxious, or medication is more freely being prescribed to people that are dealing with anxiety. And I know, as you've just said, you know, this is something that you still deal with daily and maybe perhaps less than you used to because this is a long-term situation for you. And I read recently, just before the pandemic, you had a, a pretty severe panic attack on stage. Is that right, when you were in Madrid? Yeah, yeah, I was I was on stage in Madrid. And uh, I actually, it was weird because I actually thought I was doing all right at that time. I thought I was equipped to deal with all the sort of pressure points that were going on in my life. But it turns out that I wasn't. I was. I was clearly really stressed out and spinning a lot of plates, as you do. And yeah, no, I was. Just, I, th- I think my, it was my my body's reaction to probably a lot of the subconscious chatter and um, noise that was going on. Or maybe I just wasn't looking after myself or being kind enough to myself. But yeah, I ended up like having like a bit of a a really bad panic attack, which then 
uncovered some health issues, some physical health issues. I ended up having to have a, like a surgery to remove some gallstones and things like that. And um, yeah, that that really forced me into doing talking therapy and, and CBT therapy for the first time ever to try and undo some of these hardwired, unhealthy behavioural patterns um, that I'd, I'd been setting myself up to fail every day, it seemed. And uh, I had no idea I was even doing it. I guess I'd just kind of got into, the, into a way of living that wasn't healthy, but I'd, I was used to it. That makes sense. Most definitely. And I, and I think it's also, for, you know, just from what I picked up from reading about you and, and reading the book, the pressure that you put upon yourself. And although I didn't experience anxiety or panic attacks as a kid, I feel like the panic attack experiences that I have have a very similar flavour to yours in the fact that it's very linked to outside judgment. It's very linked to what would happen if the panic attack was to occur now in front of people. You know, that's why I haven't really done live TV in, I don't know how long now, because it's such an acute fear for me. I don't even know how I would begin to get over that without the beginnings of a panic attack coming on. I I haven't tried, to be honest. I haven't pushed myself. I'm quite comfy doing my little podcast yeah, from home, yeah. writing and not stepping into that space at the moment. Maybe down the line I will. But obviously for you, that's not an option because, you know, my job is lots of little bits here and there, whereas yours is getting on stage and singing is at least 50% of what you do. So how do you cope with that, knowing that that could be a potential trigger that you're going to get on stage? That pressure is instantly applied because people are watching you. You want to do your best to prove to yourself and others that you can do it. That's so much to to cancel out that noise when you just need to sing? Yeah, <laughs> it's interesting, yeah, you, when you put it like that. Yeah, there is an, there, there is obviously an awful lot of pressure. It, 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 interestingly, my anxiety or my panic attacks had never occurred whilst performing, being on stage. This is why I, I suppose the, the Madrid thing that you mentioned was so significant and why I had to really address it. Because um, I mentioned childhood trauma, like uh, this therapist described it as like a little kid kind of tugging at your sleeve and you're just kind of telling it to go away all the time. And, and I guess it had been like, well, you've ignored me long enough, so I'm going to get you where you're, you're in your happy place, if you're like, in, your sa- in your safe space, which is on stage for me. I guess when I perform and when I'm singing, there's no time to think, to, to catastrophize or think irrationally about things. I mean, I'm present in those moments. So for it to happen to me when I was on stage was just absolutely wild. And I remember I had to walk, I had to literally walk around Madrid for about two hours after that just to like settle down the thoughts. It was, it was mad. But uh, yeah, in answer to your question, I have to do all the right things. I have to be good on the bad days. I have to, um, for me, exercise is, is profoundly important. What I eat and you know, I have to really be, be careful. There's so many triggers for me. So yeah, I mean, I, I would enc- I would encourage anyone who who struggles with that stuff to, yeah, I think movement is medicine, and I think uh, talking, I think therapy is important. For some people, it's medication. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, it's different for for everyone really. But um, yeah, for us uh, in the public eye, like you said, there's there's always so much judgment, and that's always in the back of your head. You're always thinking like, you know, what what are people thinking about me? Am, am I doing a good job? And if you're if you're like me and you're competitive and you're ambitious and you want to be the best at what you do, yeah, it's just it's a tough thing to balance. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's it, it's it's a difficult thing to balance. But um, I'm 33 now and I've sort of like 
been around the block a few times and I've figured out the things I can't do and the things that I can do and there's, there's quite a few things I can't do. Well, it's interesting with how we deal with outside judgment these days because, you know, if I think back to when I started on TV when I was 15, we didn't obviously have social media for years. I had, you know, no concept of what other people thought of me and now it's inescapable. There's always a way of somebody telling you what they think of you and that exacerbates that pressure because you're almost second guessing what people might say before you've done the action bit you know and that is horrendous it's really interesting listening to you talk there about when you're performing you have to be in the present because that's what it is you're there the crowd are there you have to focus on the words that you're saying and the the emotion behind them and it, it kind of makes me think panic attacks really are purely only based if you project really far into the future or into the past. I know mine are. Mine are usually... Actually, mine could be a concoction of both, to be honest, if, I, if I'm sort of triggered from the past, but then I'm projecting into what might happen in the future. And maybe that is one of the keys to coping, is looking at things that make you feel very, very present in the moment. One hundred percent. I think I think that's that's the the major key in, in everything, and it's probably I probably should have mentioned that earlier. That that's the way that I try to navigate this whole thing. Is that I'm, I, it is to uh, is, I think Eckhart Tolle talks about being the watcher of your thoughts, doesn't he? And he tells you it's all about being in the now and stuff, um, which is, which is profoundly helpful in those situations. Like you said, if you if you look into the future, all that creates is anxiety because you can't control and you can't control anything in the future and you look back maybe there's trauma there maybe there's guilt regret you know there's all kinds of negative emotions that are attached to to looking back so um yeah i think practicing being present is is huge i bloody love eckhart i've just been listening to his great, podcast essential teachings because i was feeling really out of control last week and if i just go off and have a listen to some of those episodes and i feel like Eckhart's just talking to me. He's talking me down out of this, you know, ridiculous cycle I've gotten in my head. He is, he is the man. He is the I man. His voice is... His is voice. Hi- I like when he does a little laugh when he goes, huh? yeah. about like sort of something that's almost quite dark sometimes. I love yeah, him. Yeah. It reminds you he's, he's human, doesn't he? He's, he's kind yeah, of... I know. He's brilliant. So, so your panic attacks very much manifest acutely in this thought that you're having a heart attack and that you're going to die. That's, you know, what I've read from your book and the articles. That's your thing. So mine is much less extreme. Mine is I, I'm going to black out. I'm going to faint. And it's a really bad time to do it because I'm in front of an audience or I'm on live TV or I'm on the motorway well, that must be or whatever. Terrifying. Yeah, horrible. But, you, so, but you've got this acute thing that you, you're going to die. And, and that led to you back in the day making calls to paramedics to feel safe. Where are you at with that now? If you have that feeling and it's that extreme, because that's an extreme manifestation in panic, what do you do? Well, um, God, I think about, I would have those irrational thoughts several times a day. And and it it is seriously irrational, that thinking you're going to have a heart attack. I mean, there's absolutely no evidence to suggest that that was going to happen. And I think that's that's another key word is where's the evidence to suggest that this is going to happen and, ra- and, and practicing rational thought which uh, is is something that I never did till I started cognitive behavioral therapy yeah started to practice thinking rationally because they're just it was you know su- su- super 
unrealistic and irrational thinking was was behind all that. And what do I do now? There's a really long-winded way of saying I, I try and I try and think rationally. And for, for people who don't have panic attacks and maybe don't understand it, I'm sure a lot of people that listen do. But you can be the most rational person in the world, and you can you can be intelligent and emotionally intelligent. But when you're under the the throes of one of those panic attacks or whatever, or it's got got a hold of you. It's a very hard thing to centre yourself and find that one voice in your head. So um, another thing that uh, this therapist told me was to is this like the senses thing where you where you see if you can smell something, see if you can taste something, try and get a grip on reality. And again, going back to the being in the now thing is is find something that brings you back to now and what's what's reality as opposed to this crazy irrational chatter in your head. I've really tried to combat that. I think. You know, when, say I get, I will sometimes be triggered at night. So I know I've got to sleep. I've got something the next day. Sleep is imperative for me to do a good job the next day, which is instant pressure and means I'm not going to sleep. Yeah, I've got eight, it's got to be eight hours for me. It's got to be eight hours. I'm useless and, and yeah. Yeah, I, I, I have exactly that. And then I put so much pressure on myself and then one tiny thing could trigger it and it might be there's a group of people outside the house making a lot of noise and then I've just lost the plot and I've gone or I just it could be one thought cyclical thought of you know that that's, it's going to go wrong tomorrow and I try and find that voice of reason that rational voice you know like you've just said there's no evidence or it might all be what if it's all okay what if it's even what if it's amazing tomorrow and I really try to grab hold of that but sometimes it just doesn't feel enough. The other voice is so much louder. And the only thing, I don't know if it is even a coping strategy, but has somehow taken the heat out of it a bit, is something Deepak Chopra said on this podcast, which was to not resist it, to stop going, I have to stop this panic attack now, I've got to stop it, but just to, let yeah, it To lean into happen. it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just let it happen. And, I'd, you know, I think it makes it a bit quicker maybe it doesn't make it necessarily go entirely but sometimes I will just find myself falling asleep and then I wake up the next day like oh what 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 did I do to get to sleep I can't even remember but it is it's such a complex one like you said if you if you haven't had a panic attack it seems like a bizarre thing to try and dilute or get a grip on but it feels like you're so wildly out of control and I wonder for you if some of that feeling out of control or maybe all of that feeling out of control is directly linked to your childhood because you've explained that you had a lot of change as a kid you had so much change with you know your parents getting a divorce your mum remarrying you having new siblings as a family with your stepfather at the time moving to Bahrain and you really liking it there but then having to come back after three years and then eventually ending up in foster care for a couple of years it wasn't particularly stable for you. And maybe that sense of being out of control was something that felt familiar? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And being being out of control and uh, maybe feeling a bit rejected as well. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, you, 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 you're absolutely correct, I think. And, you know, with, with, with stuff like that, with stuff that happens in your childhood, and, and for me, those things happened in my formative years, I think that... I definitely underestimated how much of a knock-on effect that would have in in later life. Just how you brought up is is so important. I never I never gave enough credit to that. And you know, I see my friends who had both their parents around and stuff, and just how much more level-headed and rational and together those people are. And I'm aware that 
I'm just someone who's always going to battle with that because of there's some hard wiring there from childhood. And yeah, when you kind of feel as though the the people that are supposed to look after you and care about you have sort of turned their backs on you in those formative years, I think, I mean, for me personally, I, I just felt like everyone was going to do that forever. No one was ever really going to accept me. And that's probably what led to like these panic attacks. And, you know, being on something like The X Factor is just like... I was in obscurity and all of a sudden then there's 12, 15 million people, whatever, watching on a Saturday night and Twitter was at its peak when I was on the show. It just kind of, it was just everything and every man and his dog was on there and and commenting on me, good and bad. It just it just swallowed me up and I think I was a bit scarred from that as well. So there's definitely a lot of things that uh, lead back to my childhood and, and, and certain traumas that, that I've been through. And I think it's probably the case for anyone who suffers with, with anxiety. I mean, what about you? Like, do you think that your panic attacks or anxiety is, is stemmed from anything in your, in your past? Yeah, I mean, most definitely. It's hard to pinpoint exactly what and where. I mean, I, my mum has definitely struggled over the years with her own mental health and we've talked about it you know further down the line I guess when I started talking about mine we were able to get into a more human to human conversation rather than the mum daughter dynamic it doesn't always turn out that way but I think we have much a much better understanding now and she's dealt with anxiety and we've probably talked about that less, actually. It's something that I probably should talk to her a bit more about. So, and mine, you know, it's definitely a linear family thing because her mum had, you know, poor mental health and breakdowns and stuff while my mum was growing up. So I can definitely see the hereditary or just, you know, what you're picking up by osmosis through being nurtured by people that are struggling themselves um but really for me a lot of it was based in circumstance you know late 20s 30s and that that stuff I'm still sort of recovering from now I think compounded by a big outside judgment when at times you just want to hide and not be talked about or spoken about and it's something that I still definitely struggle with in terms of that you know, you talk about your mum's mental health in the book and she has borderline personality disorder. And, you know, we're talking a while ago now and the discussion around mental health has ramped up over the last five, maybe ten years. But but back when you were growing up, it wasn't the done thing to openly talk to anybody, let alone members of your family, about mental health or mental illness which is what we're discussing here how did that affect you did you did you have an inkling when you were growing up that your mum was struggling or did you just simply take it very personally that there was something wrong with you yeah I, mean, I, I was I was probably very immature and yeah I, I don't think I yeah I don't think I gave a second thought really at the time like I say I was very young in hindsight looking back I have a lot of empathy for my mum and um, and my and my dad in fairness they were just trying to do the best that they could. They they didn't have the answer at the time. And my mum was a very young mum, had four kids, gone through two divorces. There was me misbehaving at school and stuff. And um, I think my mum was really struggling. So it's helped me to, uh, it's definitely helped me to forgive her. Well, what's your relationship with your mum like today? Can you just, do you talk about your mental health or your mum's problems in the past? Is that something that you you can do now that you've opened up the discussion 
in your music and and with the the charity work that you're doing 100% yeah i've i've really i've really done my best to try and understand my mum's uh, mental health issues the the thing that she struggles with is is really really difficult because it, it's kind of like you can create these narratives that aren't that aren't really real you can think a lot of people are against you when they aren't and uh and in that that must be tough to deal with. So yeah, I've I've, I've gone to great lengths to to understand my mum, and we have a good and healthy relationship now. But yeah, I I, I just think that uh, young mum and trying to do her best. And uh, unfortunately, I suffer the consequences of I guess you know families breaking down and marriages breaking up. And uh, I try not to pay too much mind to all that stuff now because it's it's just not gonna it's not gonna serve me very well moving forward. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. You talk about in the book, and, and I'm imagining there's an element of this in your music too, that you very often, whether it's in times that things have been going well or not, really actively pushed the self-destruct button. You've gone, nope, I'm going to... Like when you talk about relationships and times when somebody has openly said they love you or they're very much there for you and you have had a tough time accepting that, accepting love, accepting someone wants to care for you. Where are you with that today? Yeah, that, that's a weird one because um, although, you know, I've, I've kind of read the book on, on how all this stuff has affected me and I understand it and I understand the way that my mind works, it's still something that's not easy to shake. I, you know, I'll go back to what I was saying about the kind of that feeling of rejection or not belonging or abandonment, whatever you want to call it. I think, I think my relationship's in the wake of all of that and uh, me being in foster care and those kinds of things definitely suffered because all of a sudden I put all of my energy into relationships and like the girl, the object of desire was, was everything to me, became like the focus and everything else kind of suffered and anything that went wrong, you know, it gave birth to trust issues, obviously. That plagued me for a long time. I've definitely got a much better relationship with that now. You know, that comes down to just kind of uh, self-worth and things like that, I think. And uh, I try and count my blessings. I try and remind myself of, of the things that I'm grateful for. And, um, you know, I'm, 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 extreme, I'm extremely lucky. I, I do what I love for a job and everything. But, you know, I'd, I'd be lying if I said, it, again, it wasn't something that I grapple with, definitely. Am I good enough? Um, it's certainly something I've, I've struggled with in terms of my image, uh, I'd, I'd be lying if I said I didn't struggle with that kind of thing. Like you, you all know yourself. I mean, especially being being a woman in, in the industry and, and how much judgment comes with that, how how unfair people can be. It's unbelievable at times. But yeah, people have said some really horrible things to me, and and like you expect it from trolls online, but even from sort of media outlets and stuff. And just I'm just like fucking hell, I really am a piece of shit, aren't I? Like bloody hell, and it kind of. Like you say, it, com- mm. it compounds all of the stuff that you, I'd been telling myself for years. I'm shit. Yeah. I'm and um, and then when it gets validated in a big way, it's horrible. You know, <laughs> you're like everyone online is saying the same shit that I've been saying to myself. It's like you know that that led to some really, really uh, dark times for me personally. 
but you know, I guess with age, you sort of you learn to give less of a shit, and you learn to listen to your own thoughts and your own opinions on things, and not let um, anything external disrupt the kind of path that you're on. It's hard though, isn't it? It's so hot. Like there's so much outside noise. I know that feeling when you've got a thought, a negative thought about yourself, and then somebody else, a stranger confirms it and you're like it has to be true it must be true I am a piece of shit yeah and it is I think that is just down to discipline isn't it just going keep practicing not caring I'm going to practice again today that my self-worth lies elsewhere and of course many will make the assumption daily not just with you but with anyone that has done well that looks like they're succeeding in life on Instagram or whatever it is the outside adoration for you thousands of people screaming at you or singing your song lyrics back that that could boost your self-worth or make you feel loved but I'm imagining that's not the case (laughs) no it's not no you're you're totally right you you hit the nail on the head there it's like yeah so you you hear people talk about it all the time anyone that's suffered at the hands of trolling or whatever you know and you see a thousand positive comments and you almost ignore them. You look. You almost looking for the uh, bad one. Yeah. You're almost looking for the bad one. I've, I've, I've definitely done that. Like you say, <laughs> practicing not giving a shit is great. And when you start getting good at it, when you start actually, it feels fucking brilliant, doesn't it? When you actually yeah. like have have successfully got through a day where a couple of things have been thrown at you and you've you've actually not given a shit. It, it's the ultimate sense of achievement as as someone who obviously needs validation from people and, and craves that like it is good it's one thing I like about getting older for sure yeah I, I'm definitely still practicing it like I think you know we all have possibly one or two big self-limiting beliefs that are omnipresent and they might just sort of run at a subterranean level beneath life and one of mine and my friend summed this up so well one of mine is that I'm getting everything wrong. And my friend, Sarah Wilson, she's she's been on this podcast before. She's insanely clever. And she said, you feel like everybody else got the guidebook to life and you didn't. And I was like, <laughs> yes, that's it. Like, I just keep feeling like I'm getting simple things wrong or I didn't learn the things I was meant to at the crucial point and therefore I keep making the same mistakes and so I think I still wobble with that one but you're right with age maybe it does get easier and you just have more focus on the things that you know work for you and the things that you really love again people I'm sure will make the assumption that directly after winning the x factor that's like the best moment of your life because that's the dream that is sold to us, not just on reality TV shows or talent contests, but in society, that when you have that big break or that big moment that everyone is aware of, everyone can see the moment of glory, that that's going to bring, well, happiness for a start, contentment, definitely self-worth and all those things that we've talked about. But that seemed to be one of the points where you were possibly struggling the most. Yeah, I, it was, and uh, I still find it difficult to fully understand that. I think, I, I mean, I, a lot of things you, you say really resonate with me. I, I also feel like I'm fumbling my way through through life, and that I missed I missed the lessons that every, a lot of people around me seem to have as fundamentals, and that they just get and are able to to kind of put to the back of their minds, and it just be part of their makeup, and they can just um, tackle lots of things and. Uh, yeah, and in in terms of the X Factor thing, I genuinely have had a dream of being great. I think you know, I grew up. My mum 
in fairness to her, and, and my dad, really music lovers. So I was seeing people like Elvis Presley and Michael Jackson, uh, David Bowie, but you know all the greats. And and I said, I've obviously, I think I obviously said to myself, I want to be that. That's what I want to be. I think my mom <laughs> is an interesting relationship with my mom because one minute I was the best, best like when I was a kid, I was the best singer in the world. I was like the most incredible. You are a child prodigy. My mom was really good at like bullying me up. And then in in another breath, she was like, you're worse than shit. You're just like your dad or whatever. And yeah. and so like I was just constantly trying to get her validation, I think, trying to get her approval. And I needed that. And that probably manifested into um, once I was over that, getting it from my mom, it then became like I needed it from everyone else. And I think winning the X Factor just wasn't enough validation for me. I think I'd obviously my ego and maybe he's gotten a bit out of control. I, I, was, I didn't check it enough. Um, I hated the fact that I'd grafted for years and years being being a front man of a rock band and thinking that that was the way I was going to go. I was going to be that guy. I was anti-establishment. I wasn't like a pot shiny pop star. And it was the easy thing for people online to come on and say like, he's manufactured or he's just like, he's this, he's that. I think it, winning the X Factor was one thing, but to me it signified the beginning of the battle to gain respect or to gain credibility if you like and I know it's a bit of a weird thing to do the X Factor if you want credibility but um I I believe that that's what what I deserved and 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 I and I, and I still do I, I I believe that my abilities and music and stuff yeah I've worked I've worked hard and um I feel like I'm good at what I do and uh and pr- and probably for me it sounds pathetic and sad but it sort of feels like given the sort of life that I've led it's kind of all I've got in a way and outside of my or relationships and things like that it's sort of like this is the thing this is what i need to that my le- i need to leave a legacy i need to uh, i need to be great or as great as possible and then when things don't go your way or the external the things you can't control stop me from doing that i get very very down i think we're all seeking a sense of validation because the world seems like a very judgmental and quite a nasty place a lot of the time and if you're a kid that's grown up not feeling like you fit in or not feeling loved at some point, it's it's the thing you're going to do is reach for that even more. And I guess then when you get it and you realise you still feel all the same feelings, where do you go next? You know, you couldn't you couldn't be more appreciated winning a huge show like that. But then when you're left alone at the end of the day and you and you still feel the same, what now? You know that the feeling is what now and you know, that's not to, to make you sound ungrateful or whatever, because you've just said you appreciate it greatly. But when you've thought that's my way out of feeling mentally awful and then you realise it's not, that's that's hard. Oh, God, yeah. That was it. And, and that's why I think you mentioned the self-destruction thing earlier. Why do I press the self-destruct button? Yeah. I think, I think it's because of that. It's like, oh, sh- shit's going really, really well for me. Wow, I've, like, I've got what I wanted and then I don't feel any different. And I mean that was that was the height of it with with the X Factor thing. It was like, and then you saw it was well documented how the way that I went after the show, I fully pressed it. I was like, I did everything I could to get rid of it almost to like prove that I could I could just kind of I could fuck it up the way that I'd messed everything else up in my in my life to to that point. Anything that was good, I'd kind of I, I talked myself out of it that I didn't deserve it. I suppose. Um, but you know what you what's so admirable again is that you did not give up because even when you had been dropped and even when you know you, as you've said people had an opinion of you based on 
certain circumstances or assumptions. What is amazing is that you didn't give up because, you know, I've been at that point where I thought, I can't do this anymore. I want out. I don't want the judgment. But something keeps you in it. Was that purely just the fact that music, thats you, you need to do music? You know, you've been writing songs since you were a tiny kid. That's been your way of expressing yourself. That's been your way of making sense of the madness of life. Was that the thing that kept you from going... I? Because to stand back up on the X Factor stage after your comeback or to release new music or whatever, that's not easy to do that. So what kept you in it? Yeah, I think you nailed it with the with the music thing. And it's funny because sometimes I, I think to myself, like, I just want to hang it up. Like I wanna hang the mic like I don't even I don't even enjoy like ninety percent of the music industry like other than actually performing and recording music. It's something that I've just I I became good at through hard work, I think, but I actually fantasize about it, it not having to do it and not being the brand and being judged and all that kind of stuff, like you said. But in all honesty, I think it is that thing. I'm, I'm, uh, it's, I went, I went into fight or flight after after that whole thing, and um, and it was it was a choice. It was either like what's what's the phrase, kill or be killed or something. I'd like it was like do or die sort of thing. I, I um, genuinely was like, do I just end it because I I don't I don't know what I don't know what the answers are any like I I thought it was this but I don't think it's realistic that I can really get to that top top level because of maybe where I come from whether it be my background or uh, because of the x factor or whatever it's you know um, I think people have got a lot of people have uh, preconceptions of me um, that I think are, are going to be difficult to undo and by the time I do that maybe my, my time will have passed but yeah in, in answer to your question whenever I'm really in the, the, that time of need and, and I'm really giving up music always seems to come and save my life and, uh, and, and maybe I'll pick up a guitar and I'll sing a melody and I'll go well, well that's what I'm kind of that's my purpose and that's yeah I'm, like I, I can move people with this which is magic it's like to be able to, to move people with, with a song that I've written is yeah, it's it's on a it's it's invaluable. It's it's incredible, and people tell me that songs I've written have saved their lives, and that's um, and that's worth sticking around for, I think. And it's really interesting that underneath all of these negative thoughts about yourself that you've had over the years, that there's still always a really wonderful thread of self belief, because otherwise you wouldn't be where you are today, which is selling millions of records and releasing new music and a new album out later this year. You wouldn't be in that place unless you had a tiny, you know, little chink of light that says, this is actually still going to be okay. You can do this. So do you think that's always been there, that sort of self-belief of, you know, it's going to be okay? Yeah, I, it's it's funny you say that. The th- thread of belief is exactly right, and I think that that thread, as as thin as it may be, is is obviously so powerful with me. It's like I think I lack a lot of confidence in a lot of areas, but with the music, like I, I've almost got a sort of sportsman like com- competitive thing with it, where I'm just like, there's a certain lane with the music that no one can fuck with me in. Do you know what I mean? No one can, you know, you, your insert artist name can do this, they can do that. But they can't do what I do because it comes from a really authentic place. It comes from real pain that I think only if you know, there's only a few artists that I know of can can really draw upon and, and that you believe them. Uh, it depends what you're into, I guess. But do you think you could? Do you think you could write at the level that you write at without the pain? Uh, no, and and 
the reason is because uh, Mike Tyson says a, a cool thing that I, I, I like where he says, um, you know, people people ask him, like, is he happy? And he's like, well, what, what's happiness? Happiness is, is, is a fleeting moment. It's, uh, happiness is never 24 hours a day. And if you're someone who wants to progress, there's no progression without adversity. And I think that's certainly the case for me is that through all of my adversities and through all the stuff I've gone through, that thread of, of hope or that thread of self-belief that goes through, that's, that's obviously been enough of a motivation to, to keep fighting against that. And I'm still here. Something to be said for that. I'm still, I'm still progressing. There's still room for progression. And yeah, I, I'm, the thing is, is what, what's scary though is it's kind of on a knife edge because I'm a realist as well. And like once, that st- <laughs> once I start to think that's, that's the end, I, I'm going to have to figure out how to be happy with, with just me. You know, when that dream is kind of like, right, you got to kind of wrap it up, kid. You're not, you're not really relevant anymore or your shelf life's over. Like the radio aren't going to play you anymore. And every time I release a single and it doesn't do what I think it's going to do, I really, really struggle with that. I'm like, shit, I need to make sure everything in my life outside of this thing I'm chasing is, is in place and that there's some structure there. But this is the biggest life lesson, isn't it? It's like for all of us, we can't place too much focus really on anything because everything's so either impermanent or there's no guarantee with with literally anything so we have to almost be okay even for you outside the music just with yourself because that's the only thing we can really deal with isn't it like what our thoughts are how we feel inside because literally like even you were saying there you know you have to make sure that everything in your life is okay we don't even know the permanence of that stuff. So it, it, this is all of our biggest life lesson, isn't it? Being okay with just us and what's going on in our heads and how we view the world because we don't know what's going to happen. Like, hasn't this last 12 months just proved that? We literally don't know. Yeah, it just it, it just kind of shows you you got to embrace the uncertainty, haven't you? You've just got to... It's hard, but it's all... Got to keep going into the fire and hoping, hoping it all works out. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd imagine you've probably read uh, or watched Brene Brown's stuff. I love her. Stuff. Like, she, I want she, her on this podcast ma- so bad. We've almost been sort of campaigning to get her on. I'm I'm desperate to. I will shit myself when it happens because I love her so much. She's like a hero. She's but- incredible, isn't she? She She's helped me more than any therapy or anything I've ever ever done, just watching one of her seminars. Like the, t- the vulnerability stuff I think is massive. Yeah. And that's kind of what I try and tell any of my fans or, or anyone in my family that's struggling that whole thing about stepping into the arena and vulnerability is courage. And I do think it's, it's interesting that if, you, if you're someone who struggles with self-worth and that, that sort of stuff and worries about what people think about you, that, that whole thing of like, I always like, because of where I came from, I always had this, the, my, the, my culture in, in the Northeast, is, there's a lot of machismo, like people don't talk about their feelings. And, and I always thought doing that was, was a sign of weakness. And then hearing her talk about how you know, when someone walks into a room and they go, oh, I've had a shit day, I feel like shit, this is my, I broke up with my boyfriend or whatever, like, no one dislikes that person, no, do you know what I mean? No, you can't hate that person because they've, they've, they've made themselves vulnerable and immediately you relate to them. And um, once I started thinking like that and sort of recalibrating my mindset to that sort of thing and just being like, just, just, be, just be authentic and, and, you know, be vulnerable, um, that's brave and that you know you deserve a lot of credit whenever you do that 
that really helped me navigate life a bit better was the point that I was making that was well it makes for a bloody good song as well because I don't know how you feel about this but whenever something a bit shitty happens to me now or I get you know something from the past bites me in the arse or I have a panic attack or whatever there's obviously like me dealing with that experience but then maybe later on that day or the next day I go oh, I could write about that. Oh, I might mention that on the podcast. And it all it, it almost sort of feeds the work that I'm doing because I've realised the potency of what you're talking about and what Brené, you know, constantly professes is that that level of vulnerability, if people are willing to meet you there, that's an amazing feeling and that's a really beautiful thing. So, you know, whatever goes on in your life now is like, oh, fodder for a song. Fantastic. You're right. You're right. That's a perfect way to look at it, I think. I know that obviously you're, and you've mentioned Eckhart Tolle already, being in the, being present, being in the now is, is of paramount importance. But I read something, I can't remember if it was in an article or something about you, where you were saying sometimes, and I, I very much experienced this many, many times, you could be going about your day, it's a very average day, you know, nothing brilliant or bad's happening, but you're feeling fine and you're, you're doing okay as an equilibrium. And out of the blue, there's not even necessarily a trigger, a memory or something from the past comes up. And it's not in any direct relation to what you're doing now. It has no effect on on what you're doing. But the memory of it is enough to ruin your day or turn your mood. And and I've I had that a lot in my early 30s and I, and I still do have it a little bit now. What do you do in those moments if you feel the past creeping up on you or just a thought that you don't want in your head from the past? How do you make peace with that? Because I think it's a problem that a lot of people struggle with. Well, that's, yeah, that's a really good question. And the truth is, I think I'm still I'm still figuring that one out, to be honest. Uh, I yeah. try and apply all the things that we talked about in terms of staying present and just trying to focus on the positives which seems like a really lame basic thing to say but uh yeah it, it's, a, it's a weird one because it like it takes sometimes something to trigger you and, and um in therapy they tell you you got to figure out what the triggers are and sometimes you can't even figure out what they are which is which is blindsiding so i think for me i have to focus on on the positives and i have to i have to be present and that's that's really all I can do, yeah. In, in, all, in all honesty, I'm still I'm still figuring that one out because that one it's not as frequent for me that kind of like memory thing triggering something. It's it's more now like my when I have panic attacks or little episodes like that. It's more attached to a situation that that I recognise as, as as somewhere that I've had a panic attack before, I, I guess. And uh, outside of running out, running away from the situation, yeah, it's a difficult one to figure out. Sorry, I haven't got a, a, a great answer for you on that one. You do not have to have the answers. I haven't got any answers. God, you know, this is why I do all this work because I'm still trying to find them. I'm still trying to look for them. And and I think all of it's in storytelling, isn't it? All of it's in storytelling and us listening to other people's stories. And the one thing that I get from knowing what I do about your story, and some of that will be incorrect and some of it might be accurate, is a really good lesson that we all need to learn. Because I think one of our biggest fears collectively is that if something really bad happens to us or we feel that there's an end to something that we want or like or feel safe in, that it's over, game over. I would never recover from that. I could never get back on my feet again. And you seem to be, in the nicest possible way, cockroach-like in the fact that you're like... That's not the end. I'm still standing. And I might feel like shit, but I'm still here. And I think you very much proved with, and I 
I feel like there's bits of my life that I could say I've, I, you know, I've felt similar that I thought it was the end of everything and then it hasn't been. And I think that's that's real comfort for people because if you are going through something awful now, which many, many people are, or you're scared about something ending, it just doesn't have to be the end. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good way of putting it. I think I take pride in, in that being cockroach-like in a way. Like, Yeah, it's a good I, thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm not going away. You can, you, can try and, you can try and write me off at your peril, but I'm... I'm it goes back to that thing, that thread of belief. It's like, I still know I still know that I'm good at this one thing. You, know, you can say whatever you like about me, but there's enough evidence there to suggest that I can, uh, not to sound like a complete narcissist, but I can write a song that will get a billion streams. And, I, and, and that came very easy to me. I know I can move people. I know I can, um, I know I can compete. And as long as I've got the ability to do that, you can't write me off. If you've got that belief, your belief system is so strong, isn't it? You, yeah. You know, once, you, once you have formed a belief, then uh, it's, it's almost kind of unbreakable. It's been my life raft in, in all, all the shit that I've gone through. So with this, so you've got your new album, which is coming out in, is it October? It's in October, yeah. Yeah, October. So what are you, you know, obviously each time you go to write an album, there's a bunch of stuff you can tap into, life experience, things that you're dealing with at the moment. What felt important to dissect and, I guess, work through? Because I'm imagining there's an element of your songwriting that's very healing for you as well. Penning it, getting it out of your system and, and then that full circle process of, of singing it out loud. What was important to tackle this time round thematically? Um, that's, that's a great question. Um, so just to take you back a little bit to the to the beginning of 2020 is when I had that kind of health scare that we talked about. I had to go in for this emergency surgery. I then got checked into the Nightingale Hospital and it was like, yeah, bro, you need to, you need to properly address all of this shit now because it's probably what's triggered all this other stuff, you know, f- your physical health and whatnot. And, um, and I was like, all right. And I was at a point where everyone around me was saying, you've got to go off to rehab and really deal with these traumas. You've, you've, you've got to do that. You have to go and, and I was, I was about to cancel an arena tour that was, I couldn't really afford to do, to be honest. You know, it's, that's sort of lucrative, to be honest, and you can't really pass up those opportunities. But I, I basically had a choice between, like, February and March, which March was when I was going to do my arena tour. You go to rehab, and then you literally get off a plane from Texas, and you step straight on an arena stage and, and, and do that. Or you cancel the arena tour, or... I suggested, look, let me turn my house into a kind of rehab facility. I'll do therapy five days a week. I'll really, I'll really tackle this. I'll do all the right things. There's no way I'm cancelling my tour, even though I was in absolutely no state to do it. But anyway, long story short, I, 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 I did it. I put the work in within that month, and and I, and I managed to get on that stage, and I, and I did this arena tour, and then I was like, brilliant. I'm really on the path to recovery here, and then uh, the global pandemic struck obviously and um it was well you're going inside for the foreseeable future and all the touring that I had scheduled for that year obviously cancelled and then I was kind of like just gradually went back to square one within the first month of of lockdown I went back to all my self-sabotage and and self-destructive ways smoking weed from morning till night and just doing all the wrong things for the first couple of months and I was doing, still doing little bits of therapy, but it, it became more and more sparing. And anyway, uh, sorry, I'm waffling, but I, I then had this realization because I, I did have a really bad panic attack, uh, and I was like, "Yeah, you're going down the wrong path. You're, you're in that place." 
and then mu- music came along again and it was like right i'm going to set up a studio in the house i'm going to, i've got to be productive and uh, i just it just started out by i'm just going to write a few songs see what comes out a few songs come out five six seven eventually I, I sort of started to see a pattern where i'm kind of doing the sort of reflection that i hadn't done f- since x factor i'm not really one to take stock or reflect on things or pat myself on the back and unpack things i'd been doing talking so much about my childhood i'd you know i'd sort of failed to realize how how crazy the just the last eight nine years have been and all the things i've been through and all the the things that have been thrown my way the, the kind of obstacles that i've overcome and all the stuff people have said about me and how that's affected me and uh and anyway yeah it just came out in the music it came out in the songs and 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 i just was really honest like the the album opens with i want to smoke till i can't wake up <laughs> that's like the first line on the album and that's genuine then that's just how i felt and yeah anyway it it became a very introspective and autobiographical album and it's called it'll all make sense in the end uh because that's what i would tell my younger self i would tell my younger self it's it's all going to it's all going to make sense in the end and you're going to find what it is that that keeps you going and it's this it's 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 writing music and um much like yourself probably with with the podcast and the writing it's like that's your life raft that's the thing that 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 keeps you going and and what's great about that is it also inspires other people and uh, and helps other people who are going through the things that we're going through so yeah in a really long way of saying it became therapy so the, if you listen to the album it sounds like me talking to talking to my younger self and and, and unpacking all of that really well, that's exciting. I don't think you could have answered that in short form because we needed to understand that and to see, you know, that I guess like everybody else during the pandemic, sort of wondering what the hell do I do and how either how I feel this time or, oh, my God, I'm so busy that I can't breathe because there was kind of these extremes in play during the lockdowns. And that that led you to some real introspection, which I think it has for all of us to some extent, but maybe we haven't all had the propensity or the place to actually unpick it and dissect it and work it out. But it's often the case, isn't it, when we have either enforced moments of stillness, which we've all just experienced or most of us have, or we choose to find stillness or some quiet that we can then start to have a look at our lives or unpick our behavioural patterns. And and that's that's important. And perhaps, I mean, I think we're all probably reluctant to do that. You know, your thing, I guess, has been smoking to not have to think about it. Or, you know, mine has probably been, been sort of working. Like, I've probably a workaholic, so I've got to think about the stuff that I don't want to think about. But that stillness, although painful, is a really good idea for all of us. Do you actively seek it now? Do you look for that stillness? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, it's probably something I should have looked into a long time ago. But, yeah, I've just kind of, like, I've seen how profoundly, like, effective meditation is. Just doing that for 20 minutes a day or mindfulness, it's it's huge. I'm sure, you, I'm sure you're a big, big advocate for that sort of thing. I am. I just don't do it enough. <laughs> I always find an excuse. I know what I'm like. I'm... I know I've got emails to do, I've got to do this bit of editing or whatever, and it's like, I I think we'll all find an excuse if we can to not do it, even though we know it's good for us. Yeah, definitely. I'm like you with the work, because it, it kind of mimics that, the mindfulness and the and the, um, and the the meditation in an, an unhealthy way, because it does provide you with that focus and that 
it sort of doesn't let, it keeps the demons at bay because yeah, like, yeah, while, yeah. whilst you're working you, you know they can't they can't get in but the mindfulness is, and the meditation is a much healthier way to do it but I'm, I'm the same I just like I know how good it is yet I uh, don't make enough time for it no I mean I'm I think I'm using this as a, I don't know if it's a loophole but like I said listening to that Eckhart podcast at the moment I will go and do that for an hour and I don't think that's a distraction. I think that's kind of looking for stillness. So I'll, I'll pat myself on the back a little bit there. I've been doing it more, more recently, and it, and it and it definitely helps. Oh yeah, well that's that's not work. I, maybe I was referring more to the the emails. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like no, that. that is pure distraction. Which I or like I'll just clear a drawer out, or I'll you know sort out my son's t-shirt drawer, and it's like I know what I'm doing. I'm avoiding the stuff that I have to sort through. Um, well, look, I'm very much looking forward to hearing that album, you know, you describing it there and seeing how willing you've been to sort of dig into the last eight years of your life and, and the huge ups and downs that you've experienced. And I think like with all of your work, it will really um, touch people and connect you with people who are going through similar stuff. So Good luck with it and and thank you so much for talking to us today and keep doing what you're doing. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Like I say, I think you do amazing work and uh, yeah, you're just great. So thanks for having me on your wonderful podcast. Appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much, James, for your honesty and curiosity. So much of that chat massively resonated with me and I'm sure it has done for you too. James's new single, September, is out now and his fourth album, It'll All Make Sense in the End, will be released on the 8th of October. Put that date in your diary and make sure you're back here next week by subscribing to the podcast. Happy place. Now, onto something else. The British Podcast Awards are coming up the 10th of July to be precise and there's a Listener's Choice Award that the public get to vote for. It would obviously mean the world to me and the Happy Place team if you wanted to vote for Happy Place as your listener's choice. It all helps more people find us and join the gorgeous supportive group that we've got going on here. I'm going to pop a little link in the show notes for you. Voting closes on Sunday the 4th of July. No pressure, but if you love it, that would be so gorgeous of you. Thank you so much again to James, to the producer Anushka Tate at Rethink Audio. And I always save the best till last to you beautiful people for listening. Thank you so much. Always appreciated. Take it easy. See you next time. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.